Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hello there. And Matthew Dawkins. Matthew. 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 That's like you said. Matthew. And Matthew Dawkins. Matthew. Uh, well, yeah, as, as a shopkeeper in Far Xanadu would say, Nello, Nello. Uh, I sell keys, what would you like? What? Uh, you so, explain, so, aha, uh, self-promotion. Uh, I decided to finally uh, start getting active with my Twitch channel, now that I have a PC and uh, can actually do streaming without much difficulty. And decided the first thing I would stream is just playing some old Nintendo Entertainment System games, or NES. NES. Yeah, there we go. NES. As we like to call it. Uh, And the first game I decided to give a go on was uh, Farzanadu, otherwise known as Faxanadu. Uh, I don't know what the correct pronunciation is supposed to be, but I'm told it's Farzanadu. Either way... Uh, it, the typography in the game, which sees you in sort of 2D profile view, wandering around, uh, killing monsters and talking to villagers, uh, has some odd choices because capital H's uh, resemble capital N's. So whenever mm. someone starts a sentence with an H, they're in fact starting it with an N. So every single person greets you with Nello. which as you're going into elven villages i'm guessing is just how elves say hello it's a language it's a linguistics thing uh the the other excellent thing about far xanadu is the way the avatars of the people you're speaking to blink furiously with every single word that pops up, they blink. So when they've got a lot to say, they're just going, they're just blinking at you <laughs> frantically, like they're signaling you for an SOS. Please help me get me out of this shop. <laughs> oh no! And this, this, this that sounds like a distressing game to play. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that the highlight was when the guru in the in the village tried to give us a passcode. Um, saying, uh, I will now give you peace of mind. The text disappears from the screen. The next text that comes up is just a random string of letters, numbers, and <laughs> punctuation marks. So their their mantra that they want you to recite and basically write down in the in the manual for the game is Yeah, it it looks like he's saying, "I'll give you some mind." Oh my god. <laughs> At which point you just stagger out of the temple thinking, what has that priest just put in my head? <laughs> Hasta, Hasta. I was going to say, is it, is, it a, is it a Cthulhu Mythos game? <laughs> like... It is now. It, it, yeah, it is, according <laughs> to this uh, actual play. So yeah, anyone that wants to watch my Twitch channel, doing this at the, he- the, the head of the show now, uh, can just find me on twitch.com slash Matthew Dawkins. I'm going to go follow you, because I did not get an alert when you started playing, so I did not know you were doing that. I, I, I almost only caught it because I happened to be surfing Facebook when it was um, when he started, and the rest of the family had gone off to do grocery shopping. So I was just like, "Well, I'll watch them while they go." It's, it's the only way die. you can, yeah, only way you can get away with listening to my voice. Everyone else has got to be out the house. I understand, but no, it was <laughs> it was very it was a spontaneous action. I'm sure I will do it again at some point later this week. I now follow you. Well, thank Yay. you very much. So he could. Do his on the same day as I do mine, so you have to start choosing. No. Things. Okay, so now, now I have to explain that because they reacted with such distress. Um, <laughs> so I follow. 
I follow a few Twitch channels, but mostly I like to watch my my friends talk and play and do stuff more than I like to watch random people I don't know. So I watch Eddie play Sherlock Holmes games, and I usually watch Gehenna Gaming, uh, whether they're talking or playing Bloodlines, whatever. And I watch our friend Jacob Burgess whenever I can. And for a while there, Eddie, Gehenna Gaming, and Jacob were all starting their streams at the same time on the same night. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... I would I, I would sit here and kind of flip between all three of them for a minute, and then eventually, after like five ten minutes, I would just get disgusted and walk away because I was like, I can't pick, I can't pick one of my friends. This is too hard. <laughs> um, so Eddie was nice enough to move his stream to a different night. Uh, so now, now luckily Eddie starts at like eight p.m. Eastern. Mm. So if Matthew wants to compete with him, he has to start at like one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not going to make a Dixie's Choice situation. Uh, so no, I I'm sure if you really want to tune into mine, you'll be able to, but who knows if I'll actually get around to scheduling it. Things often seem t a bit too busy to, to schedule these things. Right. Uh, but the point is, even if you don't schedule it, I have an alert now. Exactly. So it'll just pop up and be like, Matthew Dawkins is live. And I'll be like, I will watch Matthew. Hello. Yep. But it's interesting how um, you, you try not to schedule things and they end up being scheduled. Like when I first started doing my Sherlock Holmes things, I was like, I'll just play whenever, you know, like. And the two people that care about that will log in. Um, and then I started doing it. And then like, I, I, I got like, I get like, pretty, like 10 people in the chat on a regular basis. Um, and they started like, Hey, we, I, I'm scheduling my week around you doing it. Please let me know. And it's like, Oh, well, I don't want to let my friends down. I should probably set up a, a time. So I'll set up a time that you can show up. And it's like, well, cool. Can I keep that regularly? So I can always plan that time off. And next thing you know, I have a schedule. And it's just like, ah, so. However, you, you don't do it every week though. So no. I, I initially set my Twitch channel up so that I could have a place to broadcast the Onyx Path news. This is when I was still using my Surface predominantly. And because the mm. Surface has issues operating OBS, the uh, software used for streaming onto Twitch, I was never able to do it. So when I started this video game stream, it notified people that were following me already that Onyx Path news is live, and it was just me oh. playing Farzanadu. <laughs> Uh, so, so when people in the chat started mentioning this, saying, "Isn't this supposed to be the Onyx Path news?" I was trying to play a game. I was saying, "Oh, and yeah, Technoxy Reloaded is on Kickstarter, <laughs> and I think we had a release on Wednesday." Uh, <laughs> just to make me not a liar. Well, I mean, good thing that there's no other outlet for Onyx Path news that constantly digresses in the game, talking on a regular basis. Yeah, well, uh, I personally felt the the farty horns were a career peak uh, for the yeah for this podcast. <laughs> we we are never going to top that. So so why even try? Was that was that episode titled Farty Horns? Because I feel like it should have been. It was called Scion or Scioff. Oh no, that that was that was also terrible. I got mad at you about that. <laughs> Like somebody, one of our writers called me out in the exalted uh, Slack and was like, Dixie, boo. And I was like, I'm never letting Matthew Dawkins title anything ever again. <laughs> to, to be fair, I, I, I also came up with John Burke putting the romance in necromancy. So I think I've actually got a pretty good track record of titles with two hits. What's 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 the second hit? It is. Nope. It, nope. It. Nope. Didn't even make the charts. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> let's, let's, hang on, let's, let's check the audience. Audience, what do you think? 
Oh, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> I'm still so... mystified as to who commissioned that piece of music and decided to put it in. <laughs> uh, to, into the serious nuts and bolts of that matter, I just want to know why the team behind Resident Evil... I'm sorry to return to a subject from last week, but why the no, team... No, don't! It's continuity. continuity. Yeah, why the team from Resident Evil decided we've got this excellent game, we're going to modify it for the director's cut, this is one of the things we should modify, and in this way. Because there's a part of me that wonders, are they actually covering up for something? I don't mean in an Illuminati kind of way. I mean, yes. did they lose the original MIDI files, perhaps? Because, right. you know, we know that sometimes happens with books, that original text files go missing, things have to be rewritten, things like that. And they realized that audio track was corrupted or deleted, and so, quick, we need something to fill in for this room and this room only. And you just got someone with no musical talent whatsoever to go on their Casio <laughs> keyboard a few times. And so, he just said, loop it, book it, upload it, done. I do have a couple of theories to how that happened, but none of them make the situation any better. They do make it weirder. Okay. Uh, um, it is entirely possible. I don't know Japanese IP law, but I know in some countries, if you contribute to a portion of a video game, you may retain still rights to it. So like if you remaster it, you have to sometimes recontract that music. And it may be the case where the musician for that room didn't want to have the music reused for some reason. Well, it was um, a very special theme, as we, as we heard. Right. <laughs> um, it could be that, um, uh, uh, like I said, there's, there's a file corruption error. Uh, it could just be the fact that um, it, there are some kind of weird technical problem where they couldn't play that exact file. Uh, that, that certainly has happened sometimes. And also, it could even be something as esoteric like it played the wrong file. Um, certainly, uh, I, one of the, uh, Ian will know for certain, but one of the, uh, uh, I remember early bugs of Bloodlines was that occasionally the wrong sound file would play. So you'd see a, one line on the screen, but a different audio would play. Huh. Okay. Um, so that occasionally happens. Um, but all of that still begs the question of, at some point in time, someone didn't make the replacement file with the idea that that is a thing that will go in the final game. Now, see, what you're all overlooking is that in Japanese culture, the farty horn is the scariest sound. And so... <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I don't think I, that's true, yeah. I, no, it's, a, it's not true. See, I, I do have the Resident Evil soundtrack on vinyl, so... and. The one thing I haven't done is check which version of the basement theme is on the record. So now I'm curious because if indeed it is the case that the original musician didn't want to relicense it, one would assume it's also not going to be on the official soundtrack. And that does make me wonder whether the farty horns might be on there. I don't remember them being on there from when I listened to it. I, I think now, you would remember that. Yeah, now I'm curious. Hmm. Speaking of music, one more digression before we go into it episode um speaking of continuity we were t a long time ago we talked about the war of the world soundtrack yes um and you were outraged outraged in capital letters that dixie and i had heard of this I'd, I'd phrase it more as i was extolling the virtues of the soundtrack and frankly outraged. surprised <laughs> um so uh 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 i don't listen to nearly as many podcasts as dixie but you listen to some and one of them is um jay and lyle Exp explain the x-men uh, and I was l l listening to it the other day. So I was taking a walk, and they're talking about going to Rose City Comic Con. Um, this was before pandemic, obviously. 
uh, and one of their um, friends they were going to share a booth with um, is is a, a, a British artist. And they talked about how last year he would sit and sing, and a quote from them, this War of the World soundtrack that none of us had heard of, but that, that he co- was convinced that everyone in England loved, unquote. Huh. So it is definitely an American thing that we've not heard of this. Because <laughs> they're from Seattle. So like from both ends of the country, we ain't heard of it. Well, yeah, that, that proves it. Uh, <laughs> right. Two points well, of data uh, obviously yeah. proves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, no, I think it is true. Everyone in England universally loves it. And so, yeah, uh, I guess that's just your loss. Right. It's, it was It was just really weird because it, like, it was a conversation that we had had. And then here another podcast had the exact same conversation. We didn't, there's no connection between us. And I was just like, wow, that's okay. I guess this is a thing. The thing is, I set it up with too much prominence now. Now mm. that I've said, oh, you know, it's fantastic. Everyone's got to listen to it. When you do that about a TV show, a soundtrack, anything like that, I think it immediately starts turning people off to the idea of ever listening to it. Because they right. think, oh, you know, uh, it's been built up too much. There's no way it can live up or I'm not doing what he wants me to. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I don't think either of you will ever listen to it. And that's okay. I will at some point. Uh, I, I just I finally did be the right headspace for something like that. So I have a very complicated relationship with music anyway because of my hearing loss. Okay, so by the way, while we were all talking just now, I've been looking into this basement theme thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I have uncovered a whole fucking can of worms about this <laughs> Japanese composer who was actually a fraud. What? <laughs> there was, wow, there was, okay. Go so for there, it. So, so there's a composer uh, named Mamoru Sabadagochi, um, who was the writer for the resident for, like he he wrote uh, Hiroshima Symphony. He's written like violin sonatas. He's a famous guy. He was hailed as the Japanese Beethoven because he also said he was deaf, which also turned out to maybe be a lie. Oh jeez. Um, but this other guy came forward and like was like, no, I wrote all that stuff. But but okay, so he was a fraud. Apparently, he did not show that. But apparently, he did actually write the basement theme, <laughs> <laughs> and the video games director came forward with a statement that was like, I, Shenji Mikami, hereby swear that Sabadagochi-san wrote the basement theme from the director's cut. We were just as horrified as all of you after hearing what he came up with. Oh he, cost us, he cost us so much time and money as he spent many hours at our office just hammering out random notes, all while actual music for the rest of the game was being composed by Nigaki-san, who's his ghostwriter, whose contributions we are deeply grateful for. We thought we had deleted all of Sabadagochi-san's music, in quotes, to be honest, <laughs> because we were in the last hours of the Element, we had no choice but to submit everything we had at the time for publishing. I can assure you this is the only reason this dreadful piece is in the game. That's amazing! <laughs> oh, so apparently this guy got like famous as a composer and used a ghostwriter for all of his like beloved pieces. And now the ghostwriter has like come forward, but apparently he did actually write the basement theme. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't prove his musical brilliance, I don't know what does. That is the best possible answer, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we like y'all need to deep dive into this after we're done recording. Um, I have ADD, so I deep dive into it while we're recording because that's who I am as a person. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was amazing, and uh, I feel like I feel like I want to read more about this man and this 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 frontster story after we're done. One day they'll find out the same thing about me with my writing. It was all ghost written by Edwin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and amazingly, it was quite well received. The only thing I ever wrote was in Sothis Ascends for Mummy of the Curse. Everything else, phew, 
Uh, I come up with ideas, then I just sit there in an opium-induced haze. <laughs> I wait for someone else to do the words. They're, I call them the developer. That's <laughs> <laughs> dangerous, but true. No. Um, speaking of people who are not a fraud, um, today uh, we have a great chance to talk to Ian A.A. Watson. Are we sure? Are we sure he's not a fraud? <laughs> I, I, he has way too many ideas that come off the top of his head during interviews for him to possibly be a fraud. Okay. I mean, he, I mean even the stuff that in the interview you're about to hear, he was just like, oh yeah, you know, he comes up with puns and shit posts just off the top of his head in a way that is frankly terrifying, but wonderful. Um, and, but we realized that we have not talked to him for over a hundred episodes. Um, he was one of our very first interviews way back in episode four, um, which we remember I won't say fondly, but distinctly, because Dixie and I had to record the episode four times. Oh my god! <laughs> it was it was a challenge? I don't wanna. I don't wanna think about it. Every time you bring it up, uh, <laughs> flashbacks. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, uh, this was a much happier recording, went much smoother, um, and we also got to talk about not only what he's been up to, but um, spend a little time talking about the upcoming uh, Trinity Continuum Anima. So, uh, without any further delay, we'll go ahead and dive right into that. And I am here, back here with uh, uh, Dixie. Hello. And also we have with us uh, Ian A. A. Watson. Um, Hello. Those are uh, so many titles. Trinity Content Lead, Webmaster, Social Media Manager. Did I get them all right? Are there more? Uh, yeah, generally we just go with Community Manager, which just sort of covers Never. the whole gamut. <laughs> you just... Manage the community. Yeah. So, so if I have a complaint about the community, I go to you to complain. That's right. Ian it's, gets it's to add an A to his name for everything he does, every right. every title oh that he gosh. acquires. Because currently, he's got what four four A's in the NAA Watson. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Okay. Ah. <laughs> well, actually, hold on. Uh, there's two, and then there's two there, and then there's, so that's a total of six A's. I don't know what your middle names are. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Alexander and Aaron, A-R-R-A-N, named after the, the Scottish Isle. Oh, that's cool. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I learned something about Ian today. So did I. This is already starting off really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we thought uh, it, it's, I mean, we did do a um, kind of Trinity roundtable at Midwinter, Um but uh, we haven't talked to just you in a while since, like, episode, what, four? Episode four, yes. Yeah. Oh, it, my it's, God. It's, it's I, been... No, I'm having flashbacks now. We had to restart that one three times. We did. <laughs> that I, was the I, one I, where we had to record the first 20 minutes three times total. I, I told Eddie earlier, I'm crossing my fingers, that, uh, like, our session will last a little bit longer than 17 minutes this time. Oh, God. I yes. have a I have trauma associated with that episode. I can like <laughs> I can clearly remember sitting upstairs at my old place in the office while I was house sitting. I do believe, or or mm-hmm. where I had just moved. No, I think I was house sitting, and just every time it happened, it's just like, oh no, oh god, I can't do this again. Like we sounded it, so wooden by the third one. Yes, <laughs> it was almost Why, like hello, clockwork Ian. at the seventeen minute and like forty two second mark or something. It would just drop off. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
And like, yeah, by by the like third one, it was like, hi, Ian, how did you start working with us? Give me well, the same answer you've given me two times before. <laughs> let me tell you an amusing anecdote off the top of my head. <laughs> that anecdote is so amusing. <laughs> I am laughing quite naturally at it. <laughs> oh God, it's so true. Is that kind of? And now that we've done it a fourth, laugh. now that we've done that a fourth time, we can we can end right here, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. That, music yeah, the rest of that, that first episode and no one will know the difference yep. <laughs> uh, but no uh, um, we do want to talk about uh, what you've been up to in the past couple of years and there's a couple of specific projects I do want to dig into but um, for the most part um, aside from the obvious shall we say um, how have past uh, a couple of years been since the last time we talked uh, fine um this past December, we released the Trinity Continuum Core Rulebook and uh, Aeon, and we've been mm-hmm. pumping out a steady stream of um, supplements since then. And the reaction has been fantastic, and I'm really happy with how things have been going. I, I really love the new edition, and other people seem to like it too, which is very gratifying. Uh, last year, we did the Everett Kickstarter, which also did fantastically well, and that is currently mm-hmm. in production. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, uh, people are still really excited about it. I know we talked about this before, but I, I, I feel it's always worth kind of reiterating that um, the Trinity Continuum has really just hit its stride so strongly. It took a long time to get there, but now that it's there, uh, I'm hearing a lot of praise, not only for um, Aeon, not for people who liked what we did with Aberrants, people who were excited about the upcoming adventure. You know, that's that's... To a certain degree, expected because those had those were beloved games to have a history and a fan base, but people are genuinely excited about things like um, the, the core Trinity rulebook and in Media Res, you know, things that were completely brand new mm-hmm. to the continuum. Yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, and it's been good to kind of hear um, people excited about the unifying concept of the, of the universe. Absolutely, um, and actually, that's one thing that's been. Uh, as we're working on this new edition is that it's been interesting, I want to say dichotomy, I think, um, because uh, you've been very passionate about the fact that these are not going to be just, let's reprint the original games with new rules. Um, you wanted to not only modernize them, but also put them into an actual like spectrum, you know, there's connectivity there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you specifically built in areas that we can tr- put new things in um and so like uh one of those uh which was kind of a surprise to all of us but ended up being i think it's, so far it's been a really good process it's been things like assassins which is almost like a parallel universe version of the continuum yes i'm really excited about that it's the cd underbelly yes it, it was something that i sort of half thought would would be you know more or less covered by the core rulebook Although we didn't, you know, mm-hmm. focus on hitman and assassinations very much, um, but you know, conceptually covered by by that setting, and then Neil came up with a, a fantastic treatment that we adapted um, to just make that its own setting by itself, and it's I'm I'm really excited to see where that one goes. Absolutely, um, and 
I don't want to think too much of assassins because you and I have not seen the, the actual manuscript for approval yet. So it's kind of like, it's a cool book. Let's see what happens with it right now. Eddie, Eddie. Yes. Eddie. Yes. Trinity yes. of Darkness. Bloody Trinity, bloody of, Trinity darkness. of Dark Shadows. Oh, God. So, what things are you referring to? <laughs> told this joke on the podcast before or not. not is, um, I don't know if you have. Maybe. Um, so, when we were working on Dark Eras and V20 Dark Ages at the same time, um, there was a lot of confusion between those two books internally. And this was several years ago. And um, I still get confused point, over them. Not going to lie. Right, sure, because they both start with dark, and they both have a, a two-syllable, four-letter word at the end, which is um, plural. Which is plural, yeah, right. Relating to time, so, so yeah. there's a right, yeah. So there's a lot of a conceptual overlap there, and so at one point, I just got joke frustrated, and I was just okay. No more books with the words dark or blood in them anywhere. Um, and so, of course, immediately my coworkers, being the sensitive and considerate people they are, started throwing as many p- titles as they possibly could with the words dark and blood in them at me. You also have at times uh, wanted to put a moratorium on night and dark. Yes. And, oh, wait, and uh, shadows was the other one. Sorry. We already right. covered dark. So, of course, then we started coming out with books like A Thousand Years of Night and Spilled Blood and uh, right. <laughs> Cults of the Blood Gods. You know. Right. Which at one point Ian helpfully photoshopped into Blood of the Blood, Bloody Blood, I believe it was. Yeah, I think we talked about that uh, at Midwinter uh, on the last time yes. we were on. You, you called me a, uh, a well-known shit poster, which still warms my heart. <laughs> right, I did. Well-known shit poster, Ian A. A. Watson, here with us today on the podcast. And that's that's how I got his, one of his A's. That's like one of my one of the other podcasts I listened to had somebody on it who was described in an article at one point as frequent podcast guest, and she hated that. <laughs> so I, I feel like well-known shit poster is about on, 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 on par with frequent podcast guest. You know what? Like that's, that, that's the thing you're best known by. You know, that, that is a, a badge I wear proudly. I, I enjoy shit posting. And if people know me for that, then so be it. <laughs> I mean, we know you about the like we we know you for that well enough that we have a goddamn it Ian emoji in our work from home Discord. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I basically have my own channel where I post my shit posts. It's great. It's a pretty great it's channel. Really good, actually. All right, so I'm sorry to derail that. I just was like thinking about the CD underbelly of Trinity of Trinity, and I had to make it you know bloody dark Trinity, Trinity of the shadows. Bloody, dark, bloody. Yeah, which are all fair for assessments of assassin. Yeah. Um, uh, but where I was originally going with that was that um, that's one example of uh, some of the things that we've been able to kind of um, find new grounds. In that case, it was a little more, like you said, of a surprise because you had a cool idea we can kind of incorporate in. Um, and another one uh, that we had been working on, all three of us have been working on recently, uh, has been Trinity Continuum Anima. And, uh, but actually, um, Ian, why don't you go ahead and talk kind of the history of how that came about? Anima is something I've been noodling about in the back of my head for almost as long as, uh, almost since Rich said, Hey, Ian, I'm thinking of restarting the Trinity continuum. Do, do you want in on that? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, once we started coming up with the idea that there could be 
more than just the three uh, arrows from first edition. I started thinking about what I could do with some of the other potential time periods. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the people always ask, um, like people really want a, a an, an era in between Aberrant and Aeon. And mostly what they talk about is the Aberrant War. But I didn't want to do the Aberrant War. I wanted to do something else. And I started mm-hmm. thinking of things like Total Recall and Remember Me and a lot of this sort of cyberpunk-ish fiction that had to do with uh, memory and brain implants and uh, questions of identity, all that sort of thing. And uh, I, I just thought it was really cool and I wanted to make a game out of it. And mm-hmm. then that was combined a few years later when uh, someone made a, uh, a pitch that that Rich bought and wanted to combine the pitch with the Trinity Continuum and it just sort of naturally slotted into what we what I wanted to do with Anima and then production got started. Yeah, and um, I can the, I was actually um, one of the people that Rich talked to about. Well, I think he talked to, to the whole Money Me team initially about the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, he asked me some more kind of pointed questions. The idea was um, a cyberpunkish world uh, where there's a, a, a massive uh, MMO, well, massive multiplayer online game, I suppose. Um, an, AT- an ATM machine. <laughs> a massive, massively multiplayer. An right, ATM an machine. MMO. <laughs> Pin number. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a popular MMO. Um, uh, in which um, there was actually kind of an invading alien force. Um, and so the idea was that kind of you're, you had this uh, uh, vibe of you're, you're playing in the cyberpunk world, but also going back and forth into um, this, this, this dirt, digital virtual world. Um, so it, there's there's tones of like uh, Everyday Player One, um, Hack Slash, uh, Sword Art Online, those kinds of media. Uh, and um, so... Like Ian's average bought it and, and kind of asked me my initial thoughts of it. And, you know, it's it like, can we put this into Trinity? And I was like, uh-huh. um, so uh, we had some discussions about it. I remember uh, we talked with Ian initially about it. Uh, and um, we had a couple of ways that we could approach it. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we settled on setting it around the time of the crash. So tell us about the crash. Uh, the crash is um, it's it's sort of a few things just conceptually combined afterwards in hindsight. Um, following the aberrant war, a lot of the economy tanks, uh, the digital web recently like crashed and wiped clean a lot of hard drives. Um, it, it's just society is at a fairly low point, so. Uh, mm-hmm. In, in an effort, well, the world in general is trying to rebuild and get back to, you know, where they were before. Um, and uh, this city in, in particular is, like, supposed to be the, the shining er example of um, of this the sort of civilization we can rebuild, the, the, the example for everyone in the world to look to. But, of course, things don't necessarily turn out the, the way they want to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, once we kind of settled on that, um, 
uh, well, for, to be fair, um, then a lot of stuff happens in the middle. So things get, it got put on hold for a bit. Mainly it was, let's get Aberdeen out the door. Let's get adventure started. Um, because I personally like to not have a lot of big design intensive projects happening simultaneously if I can avoid it. Sure. Cause I feel like all, right, all the games kind of get muted down. Um, uh, but then once all those pieces get moved out, um, uh, Ian and I both started working on kind of the actual outline for this. Um, and so I should mention this point in time that, um, uh, uh, we've just announced it, um, at some points in the past. Um, we don't know when that's happened yet because of recording. Um, but, uh, this is very much more of a design diary kind of approach mm -hmm. to things because, um, at, like at this stage we're recording, um, we've just hired writers. Dixie's one of the writers actually. Um, and what? I am. I have to yes. write. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Forgot to mention that to you. Sorry. Surprise. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of things in, in flux, uh, right now, but, um, I, I think it's still interesting to talk about kind of what design decisions we're making right now and some of the things that kind of went into our, our collective thought process. Cause this is an extremely collaborative project. Oh, for um, sure. We, we've, we've, We've had a, a big meeting about what we can do with this. Um, and so it's not just taking someone else's idea, bolting it on and going, cool, it's done. We, we're trying to find what's really cool and interesting in this. And the writing team we got together has got some really exciting ideas. Um, I know, like, for example, uh, Dixie, you pitched um, a, a source inspiration that at least I had not heard of. Uh, Which one? Outland, right? Otherland. Otherland, yeah. Yeah, the other land series by Tad Williams is amazing. If anybody out there has not read them, I highly recommend it. It's a four book series. Um, it is like it, it, it's kind of funny when you get a pitch for something and you're like, oh, it's kind of like this thing. And the person hasn't heard of or read that thing. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, great minds, I guess. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the 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 premise of other land, like the first, you know, chapter or two is essentially that. Uh, people are going into comas after using this virtual reality system. I wouldn't call it an MMO. It's just kind of how how the internet is in this version of the world, in the, right. the, the future world. But I do like it also because um, the main characters are not a bunch of white dudes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh, the the two main characters are both African Um like is it like from Africa? Like it takes mm -hmm. place in South Africa uh, for the first part of it, and then a, and all, all the other characters are interesting and diverse. Um, but yeah, the like premise of the book is you know people are going into comas, there's some shit going down, and these two people start investigating, and they you know get a motley crew along the way, and one of the things that happens is they go through a bunch of different VR worlds that are all mm -hmm. built for different reasons. So like mm -hmm. some are more games, and some are actually built for like scientific research and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, just trying to escape because they, you know, a bunch of people get, get, get trapped in there. So yeah, it's really cool. But also it's one of the reasons I wanted to work on Anima when it was first mentioned, because I love this book series so much. There actually is an MMO based on the book series. Oh, really? But it, yeah. But from what I understand, it's not great or it hasn't done very well. Mm. Um, I haven't tried it because I was like, I feel like I have like my expectation imagination version of what that MMO would look like. Sure. Right. Based on reading the books, and it's not going to be that. So, According to Wikipedia, the story is set on Earth near the end of the 21st century, probably between 2082 and 2089. So, <laughs> uh, That's really funny. If, if when, is, when is Anima set? 2084. 
<laughs> so if I had known that Otherland existed before I came up with Anima, I probably would have abandoned it because it's too similar to this. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that, that's what's cool is like a lot of y'all are coming at this not having read it. Um, I am coming at this and I, I think Neil's read it too. Mm-hmm. He's, he's one of our writers. Yep. Um, I don't know who else on the team has or hasn't, but like, it's, it's, it's interesting because I can bring that perspective, but the game itself isn't informed by that perspective. Right. Right. And there are so many other inspirational sources that, that, that we have going on with that. Like people keep mentioning, uh, dot, dot hack sign, which I've never seen mm-hmm. or read and sword art online, which I've also never read or seen. So I'm like, okay, well y'all enjoy those inspirations. I'll be over here with my other land and my over a decade of playing MMOs. <laughs> yeah, and that's um, one thing that I've been really enjoying on this project as we get started is that um, it's it reminds me a lot of Deviant in the sense that it's one of those ideas that when you first approach it, it sounds really out there and hard to explain, but then you start uncovering inspirational media and it's like, oh my God, it covers, a, there's a lot of connections. Um, and it becomes like almost... And there's this, and there's this, and there's this. And like, even during our, our initial meetings, is I feel like every time we talk, there's always like two or three more inspirations that get added to the list. Totally. So there's people like, I, just, I mean, there's, um, right now, uh, um, we're still in the process of figuring out like what the society looks like and, and how else, but certainly we're starting from a place of uh, a literary cyberpunk, um, you know, the kind of late 80s, early 90s sci-fi trope, because I know a lot of those um, inspirations that uh, Ian was drawing from stem from that mm-hmm. tradition you know your, your, your robocops your remember me's your um other kinds of, of films are drawn from that tradition so we're going to draw it from that tradition too um but also uh, uh mmos have their own kind of tropes and structures uh in fact um relatively recently it's been kind of codified by because there are now books that are coming out that are set in virtual spaces or in video mm-hmm. games and so this kind of idea of lit rpg as a genre has been recently coming up so, oh, so there's actually a word for this thing that we're also doing yeah i mean love it or hate it ready player one is definitely you know a, a decent inspiration for this even mm-hmm. if you like I, I know a lot of people got hung up on just how many nostalgia references he crammed in that book mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the, the the overarching story could work with anima and then also um Reemdy by neil stevenson Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very good book that I have not read in a long time. I might need to go and reread that. Um, but even things like Snow Crash, mm-hmm. yep. uh, which is, you know, one of my favorite cyberpunk books. It's probably the first cyberpunk book I ever read, actually. I think a, a, a boyfriend lent it to me when I was like 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to the genre via that. So even though the, the world we're building is very different from the world of, say, Snow Crash, the idea of going into a VR you know, space and doing business and having adventures and fighting things is very, you know, prescient for anima. Right. And I know that's one thing that um, uh, uh, I was attracted to when we talked about this idea is that a lot of, um, let's say classic cyberpunk RPGs, you know, your cyberpunk 2020s, your shadow runs, what have you. um, One of the design problems they constantly face is that, there is a specific kind of character that goes off and does quote unquote internet shit. And the other party does things that are not involving the internet. 
And so there's a very kind of strong divide between those. And over the editions and over time, there have been attempts to try to blend and marry those and resolve that design issue. But really, at the end of the day, it's equivalent to your magic user going off and just doing some magic quest that has nothing to do with the rest of the party. Um, whereas with this, because we're coming from a position of everyone's playing this MMO, um, we, I think we have a chance of taking what are kind of well-understood cyberpunk structures and doing something interesting and cool with them rather than half the team going off onto a kind of um, near future espionage style mission and doing shooty shooty bang bang things. And then uh, the other group going off and going to the internet, you actually have the whole group doing back and forth, both of those. Um, and even the stuff inside the MMO, um, a lot of the stuff we do at MMOs like, uh, 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 finding monsters, killing monsters, avoiding monsters, what have you, maps pretty well to what a lot of those cyberpunk media, how they represent the internet. Because they use a lot of game language initially to represent those areas. Um, right. So it's been interesting because we we were wanting to do all this stuff, but also um, making sure the MMO stuff feels authentic. And so it's been an interesting kind of discussion, at least for me, um, partially because I've, I've worked on an MMO, but also uh, having someone uh, like Dixie come on board and be able to say, cool, I've played a bunch of these, so I know what kind of language and structures I'm looking for. I have very possibly played too many MMOs. Is, is that the um, thing you can do? Is too many of uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, my, my social life from the ages of 19 to 28 or so would <laughs> definitely say that. Um, but no, like... One of the things that, that we've talked about with like MMOs specifically is that everyone I've ever been in has developed its own language. Mm -hmm. There are weird abbreviations. There's stuff that doesn't make any sense if you don't play the game. Right. But if you play the game, it's just part of normal language. Mm -hmm. And I was talking uh, to my boyfriend last night. I have, I have ADD. And like that's actually something that my ADD brain is really good at is making weird associations. Mm. <laughs> um because we were talking about you know, ways people would nickname one of the the peoples in the game, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm like I like jumped you know twenty spots to like something that didn't sound like it at all but made sense to me, mm -hmm. and I'm like that's what would happen in an MMO. It would get shortened and then changed and then bastardized and then changed again and then shortened again, and next thing you know you know you're you're calling somebody something completely different from what they're actually called. Mm -hmm. um and i'm like this is gonna be fun because i get to just let it go just 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 let it roam free and like free associate random words with things yeah right so i mean we have this thing where we're not only creating um a fictional society in the ashes uh, of the crash like ian said this is a place that we haven't really explored much in in trinity but also creating a, a virtual society inside this mmo and giving it its own lexicon and to a degree probably even its own structures. Right. And if, it, if, if, if this is a game that like most people in the world are tuned into, which mm -hmm. is, that's what it kind of seems like it is, then a lot of those words are probably bleeding into regular everyday speech. Mm -hmm. Like that, that happens all the time where something that gets popular on the internet or in a certain community turns into something that people say all like say over the whole world, you know? Um, that's that's like a lot of our slang now just in in the real world comes from meme speak and the internet and various subcultures um so that'll be interesting to see how like we decide to shape that the world like how is the world shaping the game how is the game shaping the world and i know one of the things that i've been thinking about during this has been stuff like um 
World of Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft had a huge cultural impact around the early 2010s. Um, you know, you see, you know, shows like South Park doing really extensive kind of jokes about uh, World of Warcraft players. Um, you know, World of Warcraft references showing up in commercials and talk shows. Um, so I think it's the same kind of cultural impact. Um, particularly segueing into um, another piece of this is that um, we're not talking about just sitting down on a computer and playing, but rather this is uh, a completely immersive reality through a uh, brain implant, um, which goes back to Ian's initial anima concept. So Ian, maybe you want to talk a little bit about glass and what your inspirations were for that kind of piece of Trinity war. Sure. Um, I conceived of uh, glass as originally I was going more for um, your sort of remember me and total recall thing where people are mm -hmm. say experiencing cheap vacations or memories of implanted vacations uh, like, mm -hmm. like Quaid goes through um, or uh, in the case of remember me, they're just ex re-experiencing memories of loved ones that they may have lost in the war sort of thing. So mm -hmm. it's, it's escapism and it's uh, partly treatment for like the, the PTSD that everyone's dealing with in the aftermath of the war. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm sure that there's still a lot of that happening in the world. Uh, but the idea of having this MMO going on jacked directly into your head, I mean, that just made natural sense. So uh, for the purposes of this game, the main thing we're going to be focusing on is the MMO, but there's still a lot of other stuff. So if you and your group want to do more of a Total Recall style game, this gives mm -hmm. you the platform for doing that. Uh, also stuff like uh, The Matrix when they're uh when they load memories into not memories but like skills into each other like if, mm -hmm. if you're doing manual labor uh you get hired to do a job um there is no such thing as unskilled labor you can just have that skill jacked directly into your head uh or right we're gonna upload a language you know right uh and one of the things i like best about this uh is you could do something like the animus in assassin's creed you could use one, mm -hmm. some of the other eras of the trinity continuum as ancestral memories that your character is going through in the anima period so you can you can play like a multi-era game just as your one character sort of bookending your your sessions diving into the past which is really fun so you could take uh trinity assassins um, and make an assassin in this virtual world and then sit in this futuristic world where you're putting your mind into an assassin's and play perhaps some form of popular video game franchise. You could, in fact. <laughs> I call it the Hitman's Credo. Hitman's <laughs> Credo. Um, you get some opportunities that we can't normally uh, do in the Trinity Continuum. Like, you know, uh, I think one of the reasons why Rich, Rich was attracted to this is that we could do a fantasy game in the Trinity Continuum is not something we can normally do because it's such a sci-fi based property. Right. But now, now it's like you can do a dungeon crawlish kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, the more we dug into it, there's a lot of interesting possibilities. Um, and uh, I'm excited for how it's going to go. Like I said, it's kind of a, a design diary kind of uh, approach. So there's a lot of things that could change right now. The writers are just now, going off starting to write, so I'm fascinated to see what they'll bring back in. We'll definitely keep 
everyone informed as the project evolves and changed, but it's it's while Assassins is kind of officially the first real new era of it, this is I think the first big kind of slotting into a role that was expected in the or you the role that you planned inside um the Trinity Continuums. I'm curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, like, definitely for the listeners, anything that we've said here is subject to change. That's something I always put when I talk about, like, exalted essence mm-hmm. in any of the discords or whatever. Like, we might think a concept is really cool and then come up while we're writing, and it just doesn't work mechanically. Right. That that, that happens with games all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we'd like it to do all these things, and it, we were planning for it to do all these things. And, you know, some of them might change or some new things might pop up that are cooler. And we decide to do that instead. Like that's that's some of the most fun that we have doing game design, I think, is kind of being like, oh, this isn't working, but this works, you know? Right. And because this is a new space, we thought it'd be worth kind of taking a little extra time and talking out. Like, here's what we're thinking about and here's where we're going. So that way the Trinity fans can kind of, oh, okay, I, I, I can prepare myself and get ready for when this comes down the pipe because you don't have that historical knowledge to fall back on you don't know oh i played adventure or oh i read Avery. you don't have that for this so this is kind of to help you get your head wrapped around what this cool thing coming out is going to be and how it fits into everything yeah uh on rpg net a few months ago uh someone had picked up aeon for the first time and they said they didn't really get it until they saw mass effect in the list of inspirations Mm. and once they saw that like oh i understand sort of the feel of what this game is supposed to be Mass Effect is like the touchstone I always go to at cons when like someone's standing at the table being like, what is this oh, thing? Absolutely. Like I could describe Mass Effect really well. <laughs> and I mean, I do always let them know that you can do a bunch of different things with it. But like that's that's one of the biggest touchstones that most people are at least familiar with, even if they haven't played mm-hmm. it. I, I tell people Aeon is Mass Effect 10 years before Mass Effect. That makes yeah, sense. pretty much. Yeah. It's before things get to that stage. Well, even like... The original Trinity release was literally 10 years before Mass Effect came out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant 10 game years before Mass Effect, but no, that makes sense too. Should we should we sue Mass Effect? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been enough suing around the Trinity continuum. <laughs> we don't need to yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> that was a joke, people. That was a, yes, we're not going to sue. We are... We are not litigious over here. <laughs> we, we love EA. Um, yes. Well, I love Mass Effect. I don't know. I love EA. Well, fair. But that's a whole different talk. That's a whole different talk. Actually, before I um, hard segue into another topic, um, I want to touch back at one point. Because uh, I don't think we've actually talked about this, Ian. Um, I understand, I think, at a high level why you made the decision. But I'm curious why actually you did want to send it in the Aberrant War. Well, the Aberrant War, it's, it's like showing you up front in alien what the alien looks like Mm -hmm. the longer you can keep the alien in the dark the scarier it is for the audience Mm -hmm. the aberrant war is such a huge event that nothing we describe will ever really do it justice so Mm -hmm. i'm mostly leaving that up to individual story guides to figure it on their own yeah that's what i suspect because i always felt it was kind of like um how doctor who has never shown the time war Right. It's also how in Exalted, like, we're never going to talk about what it would be like if the Yozis got out. Right. Because, really, you just shouldn't do that in your game, because it's world-ending. Right. <laughs> like, you can't fight it. Um, and we're never going to, like, have a book that's like, Exalted Apocalypse! The Yozis are out! Because it's it's too much. Right. I mean, it would be like 
pretty good book out describing Gehenna. Oh, wait. Oh. <laughs> which, which, to be fair, they did what they could with it by saying, here's a bunch of different options. It could be one, any one of those. I mean, I think it's the only way you could have realistically tried to approach that if you had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I totally, that's what I thought. I, we never talked about it, but yeah, that's what I thought. It was like, support of, it's, just, it's better if it's undetermined. That's why I don't really want to do anything right away with um, the war between dogs and cats for Pugmire. It's like, I'd rather just have that be like a horrible memory. Right. Like the both leaving it undescribed makes it more powerful for, for people to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, there was a second part to that thought and it's gone now. Into the ether. Yep. Speaking of the ether, um, yes. the other, well, a lot of people don't uh, realize because you're so, well-known as our community manager. You're so well-known as our trained content lead. Um, what, what a lot of people don't know is that you're also working on a mage project. I am. Well, I not anymore. Uh, uh, I am, I'm done with the mage project. Years ago, years and years, like probably 2006, mm-hmm. I had uh, put together uh, a proposal for a little thing called Victorian Age Mage. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Rich said, that is a great idea. We're going to do it. And uh, I think like 2014 or so, uh, he even asked me to talk about it at one of our panels at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And when the project actually got started, uh, they ended up use, like coming up with a different outline entirely. So almost none of my original material made it through. But mm-hmm. just the core concept of doing Mage the Ascension in the Victorian period. And then as production progressed, uh, there was a little bit of shuffling of, uh, of some of the, the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, various uh, writers and developers had to step in and step out. And uh, at one point, uh, the, the uh, sole developer was Christopher Allen, who was doing a fantastic job as a developer, but he didn't really know Mage very well. Mm. My first credit in the RPG industry was on the Guide to the Traditions back in 2001. Oh, wow. I, I love Mage. You don't, you don't understand. <laughs> I love Mage. So I was basically brought on board as sort of the canon meister. Okay. I, uh, I, I went through everyone's manuscripts and double-checked it to make sure it not only fit with sort of the new stuff we were inventing for this period, but that it didn't contradict anything that comes before or afterwards, mm-hmm. which I mean, as the guy who created the, the unofficial white wolf wiki, this is my bread and butter. This right. Like, <laughs> like, Hey Ian, we want you to do the stuff that you do for fun, but get paid for it. Like, okay. Ian, will you please nitpick cannon for me? <laughs> yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing is you enjoyed that process. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a great time. The the writing is fantastic. Um, the the whole project came together really nicely, and I really hope people enjoy what they see. And we have been on this uh, for 38 minutes now, which beats our previous 17 minute record. Yes! Hooray! Let me crash. <laughs> No, we don't. Um, so, I mean, um, what you've been like, like last time we really talked, um, a lot of your 
work had been kind of either theoretical, as in I pitched this a long time ago and it's just now starting to happen, or it was really you're focused on a couple of big projects. Um, but now it's been a couple of years. You've been, uh, even in the approval stage of Trinity stuff, you've been involved in a lot of projects now. Um, yep. How have you seen, do you feel like you're doing things differently now? Have you learned a lot? Um, or is it much the same thing you were doing before? Are you just happy to see shit out there, all of the above? Where's your head at? Well, I mean, I've been involved in sort of the, the White Wolf community for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, more than 20 years now. And I've always had a lot of these, like these head cannons and like little fan projects in the back of my head. Um, and it's just so gratifying to be able to realize them. Like I'm, I'm sitting next to two core rule books that I've worked on right next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, uh, with Aberrant and Adventure and Assassins and Anima and Victorian Mage, it's just more and more and more piling on top of that list. And it's just so delightful to finally, in in some cases, after like a good 15 or more years, getting some right. of these ideas out into the world. And now it's just a flood. Yeah. It's a torrent of things coming out. And it's, it's, it's sometimes weird how that happens. Like you, you, you feel like you're banging your head against something for years and it's like this is never gonna come out it's never gonna work blah blah and then suddenly it's just like 12 things all hit at once and it's like oh my god there's so much yeah i am not complaining no i i figure you're not but at the same time i i, I imagine it's it's like i say it's weird because um i, I know I, I came from some perspective like i was a vampire fan for a very long time and then suddenly mm-hmm. it's like here i am writing for vampire the masquerade and it's, it, you have those moments like you kind of stop and go how in the hell did i get here yeah like getting uh when uh when justin asked me to uh do some work on v20 um like that getting my name in v20 that was like okay this is it this is the pinnacle of my career like mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't go any higher than this mm-hmm. and i was very wrong and i'm very ha- happy to to see that <laughs> well i know we're definitely uh, happy to have you on board and i'm, I'm very excited about not only the stuff that we've already talked about, but also um, where Anima's going to go and even some more projects that we're not in a place to talk about yet. Yes. Secret projects. Secret projects. Secret. Um, so Dixie, did you have any other questions or thoughts before we wrap up? I think we covered pretty much all of it. I'm, I'm very excited about Anima. I'm excited to see what it ends up looking like as we, you know, get through the writing process since we don't even have first drafts yet um, as of recording. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing what everybody comes up with. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you soon about some of the stuff that we're working on together. Uh, so uh, Ian, if people wanted to talk to you about uh, Anima or any of the Trinity projects or Victorian Mage, uh, where would they find you? Uh, my Twitter is at Von Aether, V-O-N-A-E-T-H-E-R. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at ianaawatson.creative. Um, and that's where I post in both places, if you if you want to talk about anima, or if you want if you like shit posting, that's that's where you can find me. <laughs> um, and I post just about everything that you find on the Onyx Path website. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking time to, to talk through and all this stuff, and uh, having a flawless recording this time around. Thank you. And uh, now let's go back to the outro. And we're back. 
What? That We've been gone for so long. I've grown a beard. <laughs> Me too. Wow. Yeah, right? It's impressive. Um, are, you, are you sure you grew a beard or did you just have someone ghostwrite your beard for you? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just wrapped my hair around my chin and uh, called it a beard. Your beard is green. That's strange. If I had a beard, I would dye it green. 5,000%. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, I, I completely believe that. How good are the two of you at dream interpretation? <laughs> no, I don't. Not great, but I, I mean, I kind make, of. I can make it up. What's up? Well, so what Ian, weird dream? So what Ian was saying to me, it's uh, very clear that through his work on Trinity, he's living his dream. There you go. There's a connection. So <laughs> I, I had a dream last night. It, was, it wasn't anywhere near as profound. Uh, as anything by Martin Luther King. Uh, my dream had me at a village fate. You know, the kind. And there was... By fate, he means, party? like, party, F-E-T-E, yeah. uh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Fate, F-A-T-E. Yeah, a fate, a village fate worse than death. Uh, the tom the the uh, rewards from the tombola were all different methods of torture. It was a fate worse than death. So anyway, I was at the fate with a little triangle with a little upturned V over the first E in the word fate as well. To be, I'll get to the point in a minute. And <laughs> there was some kind of charity auction going on, and I wandered over there, and they were auctioning off a piece of artwork, a painting. And from what I could see, it was some kind of sketch. It was just black on white. And the bidding was quite furious and got as high as £1,680. Exactly. I can remember these things. I know these sound like clues in a Sherlock Holmes board game, but this is how the dream went. And there was an old woman who was clearly very keen on winning this auction. For whatever reason, this painting meant a lot to her. And I decided that for some reason I would jump in and I bid £2,000. And I won. And I won this painting, took a look at it up close, and it was dreadful. It was like something by a child, an untalented child at that. And I was thinking, ah, shit, I've just spent £2,000 on this piece of crap. What am I going to do with it? And then I had a thought, what if I try and sell it back to the old woman who was so so clearly keen on it and maybe make a little bit of profit in doing so? And so I tried to find her and I managed it. And unfortunately, well, at first she was dubious. She thought, well, why are you trying to sell it? You just won it. And I said, well, uh, it turns out I need the money for my car. I don't drive. <laughs> Uh, but she she bought the idea, <laughs> and she said, "Well, the most I can go to is seventeen hundred pounds." Ah, well, okay. So I sold it to her for one thousand seven hundred pounds. I was three hundred pounds down. The dream ended. So that is the course of my dream, Doctor. Tell me what it means. Do you want Do you want my actual like theory on on dreams like that? Yeah, go for it. Because I have I have I I have weird dreams a lot, and I also have you know a. a paramount of like various mental issues that i've been dealing with and so dreams dreams do usually mean something right sometimes they're just weird but a lot of times it's it's whatever your subconscious is dealing with mm -hmm. um so like to me that sounds like you have an anxiety or a worry that 
you're investing too much of yourself or your time or your money into something that you think ultimately won't be worth as much as you hoped it would. Mm. I like and you're worried about the return on your investment, as it were. Um, like I said, wh whether that's actual money or whether that's like putting your time into a project or, you know, worrying about something with with your 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 family or a relationship or whatever. Just that it sounds like there's something that you're putting stuff into that you're worried you're not going to get what you hoped out of. Well, I like it. That actually sounds that sounds pretty legitimate. Very sorry, Onyx Path, about all the time I'm putting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Matthew quits. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it's a it's a concern. It doesn't mean it's correct. No, no, you know? of course. It is, it's, it is, no doubt, some kind of anxiety like, being worked through in my sleep. Uh, I think I, I think most creatives have that anxiety about their work. Yeah, you know, sure, like I'm funny. putting all this time and energy into this, and no one's gonna like it, or it's gonna suck, or whatever. Like that's just how we feel sometimes. I mean, <laughs> like, like just about everyone, I think we know or work with has some form of imposter syndrome. And at some point, you have to ask yourself: if we're all the imposters, who's the actual creative that we're all supposedly, you know, imposters of? Um, so yeah, we all feel like that because we want our work to be worth something to be valued on some level. And sometimes that value needs to be monetary. Sometimes that value needs to be creative. Sometimes it's a mixture of the two, but on some level you want your work to mean something. And it's not as tangible as like, I made, I, I made a, a part for a car and now the car works. That's a very clear, I have provided value in this exact way. We, we, right. For artistic purposes, we don't have that very clear value. We can only rely on people saying on the internet, I think your work is lovely, or I think your work is crap. Um, usually more of the latter, but a lot of times it's the former, and those help. Yeah, that's that's part of why during, during all this, you know, quarantine stuff, like sometimes I take a break from work because it feels less tangible than usual right now. Mm -hmm. Because... Like, it's like, oh, the world is broken. So who cares about me editing this book? And sometimes I will take a break and go just like make food. Like whether I go right. like, you know, I have I have, I have made uh, marmalade. I, I'm, I'm making bread, like not a lot, but like occasionally, you know, I would go and I'll like, I'm like, I can take two hours or, or three hours or whatever and just make something that I can hold in my hand and that is useful right now. Mm -hmm. hmm. um, and that's what making me feel better. Like... I'm a little annoyed because I, I, I moved right before all this started. Um, I didn't bring all my stuff yet because the point is to go back and get it later with the moving truck once this is a little bit less weird. And so I didn't bring all of my crochet stuff. Mm. Um, and I really wish I had because I would love to be making, you know, like even scarves or something right now, even though it's summertime. I don't care. Just like something with, with, with my hands. But cooking is the closest thing I can do. So I've been cooking almost every day for me and my boyfriend, and then I also like bake and can things. And I'm 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 planning to make some like pickled onions here soon because I like pickled onions on tacos. And I'm like, hey, why not? Right. Um, but that's that's been helpful to me personally because like video games are kind of intangible, and making books is kind of intangible until you can hold them in your hand. Um, and so yeah. Well, it's just nice. No, I I completely agree. Although I have to say that. Completing Breath of the Wild for on the Switch was quite. It did feel quite good. Oh no! I I also during this have beat XCOM too, and that felt nice too because I saved the Earth from aliens. I, I'm not. I've not completed any of the modern XCOM games yet. Uh, I I got quite far in the first one, uh, the new version of Enemy Unknown, 
but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at some point fell off that wagon and really needs to get back to it because I think they're fantastic. XCOM 2 was the first one I ever played. Yeah. I saw my boyfriend playing it and I was like, that looks like a game I would enjoy, but I did not know what kind of game it was based on the marketing. I thought it was more of like a, a an FPS. Yeah. Because the marketing doesn't really show you what kind of game it is. So once I found out what kind of game it was, I got excited. Can you still name your operatives in it? The uh... Uh, Yes, because I was naming them all after myself and my friends. And I named one after my cat. Excellent. Uh, in that case, I may have to do some kind of stream where I'm uh, sending the Onyx Path team off to fight the aliens. I was I was thinking about doing the, the exact same thing. <laughs> like, actually trying to go in there and like make all of us and like all of our developers and Rich and everybody. Yeah. Um, it would be very sad if the three of us died first. I save scum. Like I'm not gonna lie. I'm a I'm a save scummer. <laughs> like if one of my best people dies, I'm like, oh, reload. Let's 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 try those last four minutes again. But for me, that's fun because it's kind of like a puzzle where you're trying to figure out the best solution. Yeah. Right. So like, there there are some games that I would like never save scum in because it's like yeah, whatever happens happens. I like made this choice, you know. Um, like games games where your choices really really matter. Mm. Um, but in a game like this, it it feels like a puzzle. And it feels like a logic problem. And so if I reload like five times and I'm not getting it, not getting it, and then on the sixth time, I like get it perfectly and everyone survives and I, I kill all the aliens on the, on the one turn, I'm like, man, I'm cool. Like that's 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 a good feeling. Mm-hmm. I like figured out this this complex problem. Um, and so yeah, that's it's it, it's really weird because like I've never been a save scummer in games when it comes to like uh Things like, you know, Life is Strange or any other game where, like, choices matter. Fable, whatever. I've never been that person that, like, reloads. But the minute I got... I, like, did it once on, like, XCOM 2. I was like, welp, this is who I am now. <laughs> <sighs> um, but, uh, Dixie, if people wanted to talk to you about XCOM or even about Trinity Anima, where would they find you? Or about that composer that... Apparently faked everything yes. because I'm super interested in that now. Uh, you can find me at DixieCochran.com or Dixie Cyanide on pretty much all social media. And Matthew? Uh, you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com and as Clack Click Bang on Twitter, where I am not pretending to be a deaf composer. Uh, so you can call me the British Beethoven. Right. Um, I'm not pretending to be a composer, at least, but you can find me at uh, PugSteady. <laughs> Um, pugsteady.com or pugsteady on Twitter. Uh, it's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, you can find all of us uh, on theonyxpath.com. You can find us on our Onyx Path Discord. Uh, you can leave comments onto the blog post for this episode. You can hit us all up on Twitter. We're usually happy to talk about the podcast at any point in time as long as, you know, good conversation. Um, and uh, I don't even know what Kickstarter is happening right now, so I can't even plug the Kickstarter. So I'm uh, assuming we're having some technocracy. Uh, it will still be technocracy reloaded. Yes, right. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> for, for context, we have recorded a lot. Time. We have a. We've recorded a lot of episodes recently, and b. Yes, time is meaningless right now for everything. So uh, what is time? It, but yes, the technocracy reloaded is still going on. Uh, uh, so definitely check that out. Um, we, we've. We're unlocking a ton of stretch goals, but it's one of those projects where it's really exciting to get as many stretch goals unlocked as possible. So we're definitely, there's no danger of it not funding. It's definitely going to fund, but it will be cool to see what kinds of things we unlock. So go check out Technocracy Loaded. And as always, many worlds, one path cast.